We had a great time talking with Craig. He has an awesome vision for our profession. He's going to tell you how he sees it, and that makes for a great conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy. Going to take care of some business, and then we'll get right into it. Oh, one more thing. If you want to be part of the discussion, uh, please find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also send us an email at treethinkingpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your opinions. We'd love to make you part of the discussion. So reach out and we can make that happen. Rate and review us wherever you're getting the podcast. If you give us five stars, it's really going to help us spread the word and get the podcast out there to more people. So that would be much appreciated. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's a lot of fun to do and it's awesome to see that people enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted cited copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Set up. Let's tango. We know Craig from his extremely informative webinars and the safety, knowledge, and enthusiasm he brings to judging at tree climbing competitions. He's a speaker, writer, and presenter at conferences And on top of all that, he built Tree 133, a successful company that specializes in tree preservation rather than tree removal. He's a certified arborist with a degree in environmental science and 33 years in climbing to back it up. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we ask about the value of mentorship, the future of our profession, what it means to build our company towards preservation rather than the temptation of the cash grab of removals on Building for the Future with Craig Bachman. All right, we're back again, and we are stoked because we got a guest today. I think we've all kind of known of Craig for a while through competitions and through these webinars, and so we're all really stoked to sit down and uh, have a conversation with you, Craig. Hey, Craig. Oh. oh, hey, guys. Thank you all for having me here. And uh, that intro, wow. <laughs> it sounds like I should know what I'm talking about. I, I that. You were very kind to put that together. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you know what you're talking about because that's why we brought you on. We're just the bumbling <laughs> idiots here. <laughs> My name's Andrew. Jamie. Becca. And Corey. And, uh, yeah, we're... We're going to get into, uh, well, we'll see where it goes. I say uh, we start off with some stories from the field. What Anybody got any good stories? Let me see if, uh, Craig, do you have one? Yeah. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I was actually just pulling up my calendar on my computer to look at what in the heck did I do this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a good story from the field, and it's about something we didn't do. Okay. And, and if I can set it up very briefly. Whew. I will work on brief. It's Friday. Oh, take your time. Um, <laughs> we, do, we do a lot of canopy reduction on large conifers, Douglas firs in particular. For, for those of you listening who are not PNW folks, 
Doug firs out here are one of our dominant native large conifers and uh, up to 140 feet, 160 feet, you know, maybe 50, 60 inches at the base and limbs 30 plus feet long. Um, and they're a little bit notorious for dropping limbs in windstorms, you know, dropping maybe that anthropomorphizes them a, a little bit, but having limbs, green limbs fail in wind and snow events. So one of the things that we do is we help clients retain those trees and feel comfortable and confident with them by performing canopy reduction, by shortening the lever arm, and going out to the ends of these long limbs and, and making targeted pruning cuts. Anyway, we were supposed to be over on the east side of Lake Washington in, uh, in Bellevue reducing one of these big trees. And uh, uh, one of our certified arborist uh, colleagues called me the night before and he said, hey, man, I'm feeling sick. And uh, I think it might be the big COVID. I'm going to get a test. And I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks. And so I wasn't worried about my own exposure, but I appreciated him coming to us proactively. And he said, hey, man, we got to do what we got to do. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. So it was myself and my wife, Joanna, who is our uh, junior ground squirrel. Uh, Joanna's actually the operations manager for our company, but uh, she likes the title ground squirrel, also known as arborist apprentice. And so she and I rolled out to this job. And this tree, as always, right? is way bigger than I remembered. Oh yeah. Way I bigger. It's that. probably been <laughs> oh, it's probably been eight weeks since I saw this tree and it's yeah, forty inches DSH and it's probably hundred and twenty five, hundred and thirty feet overhanging the house. I think furs are especially and, good at, at being de- deceptive, you know, like <laughs> oh, you see it from totally. afar and then you walk up to it or you get in the canopy and see those limbs like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is a 35 foot limb. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we're driving out there and she says to me, are we biting off more than we can chew today? And I said, well, nah, we can do this, you know, like <laughs> let's get her done. Right. So we roll up there and, and, as we're arriving, she reminded me of some training that we'd had in the past. We used to do a lot of backcountry skiing and had some avalanche hazard awareness training. And one of the things they talk about is the idea of yellow flags. Like green means go, red means stop, and yellow means caution. And the idea is sometimes we don't always have red flags. We don't have an immediate stop. But we start to have things pile up. There's one yellow flag after another, after another, after another. And over time, those add up potentially to disaster. And she reminded me of that, which I was really glad she brought it up. We showed up, we looked at this tree, and I said, yeah, let's, let's look closer. Let's talk to the client. I don't know. I think we can do it. And then there's another pickup truck that shows up. And there's a guy standing in the house that looks an awful lot like a contractor. Client opens the door and says, oh, I'm gra- glad you're here. We're also going to be replacing the windows in the house today. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, which windows? Oh, the ones on the side <laughs> and at the back. Oh, and I'm glad we found out about it. And she said, I apologize. The windows came in early, and we just wanted to try to get it done. I said, totally. And you know what? This is perfect because yep. this is the red flag that I need yeah. to not do this job, to not get in over my head and put my wife, our apprentice, on the ground in a bad spot because I can do the climbing, sure, but we all know it's not, it's not the climber alone that makes the job work. It's the team, right. and it's yeah. often the skill set of the most junior person that we are counting on, mm-hmm. and I'm glad she brought up the concern. And I'm grateful for the yellow flags conversation and the big red flag of 
windows being replaced <laughs> under tree. <laughs> and we said, nope. No, thank you. Nope, let's not. We will come back. Thank you very much. So that's my story from the field. That's great. Well, and that's so important to to listen to those things, you know, because so often people get deter- like, I need to get that job done. It's been hanging out on the books for a while, and I just need to overcome whatever obstacles show up. And that might not always be the yeah. answer, you know, that a matter of fact, sometimes those obstacles are telling you something, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so important to listen. I think too, like uh, yeah. more than three yellow flags kind of turns into a red flag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got five yellow flags, you have one red. We did that once, remember, well said, Becca. Becca and I were doing an Ilanthus removal oh, and I was climbing and I just get out over this lead over the yard. And then that's when the homeowner and his buddy decide to start erecting some, like they're building a shed or something underneath, yeah, underneath the like lead. Yeah, right like under where. They're cracking beers, pulling out their sawhorses. <laughs> like, hey, guys, this is not the best time. <laughs> right and they just kept walking back and forth underneath this whole yeah, removal. Mess. Yeah. It was a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a, definitely a humbling experience like, yeah. working there. It, it's a reminder that when people hire us, they know what they want done they know that something's going to happen to the tree but they have no idea the process no because mm-hmm. so often they don't you know or they want to watch they just kind of come out and hang out right underneath you yeah you know it's like no 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 you <laughs> this is a no-go you know <laughs> who else has a story from the field anyone well today uh i had something i've never seen happen before <laughs> happen um it was a cool job we were creating some habitat uh, stems on some some dead firs and the climbing was fun the the firs had a real hard lean um they weren't like super big in diameter but you know pretty tall maybe 75 foot 80 foot firs you know nothing too big and we were able to tie in to the f- surrounding firs and also rig to the surrounding firs you know just everything nice controlled smooth fun everyone's having a good time with all this rigging our climbers up in the tree you know he's working hard and we kind of hear this commotion behind us and we look over and there's two turkeys battling it out. Like <laughs> their necks are wrapped up around each other. <laughs> one has the other's head in its mouth. <laughs> this is all going on uh, under the porch of the, the neighboring house. They're like beating each other up against the wall. Eventually one, you know, submitted and like kind of the other one chased it off. But what a weird thing to see. <laughs> I've never Our climbers seen a up there fight. working hard and we're just staring at these turkeys. <laughs> I kind of have a similar uh, story from the field, I guess, in that on, uh, it was Wednesday. Um, we went out like Mountain Junction. It was like a 40 minute drive. It was great. Beautiful country area. And uh, apparently there's like a bunch of peacocks around. Uh-huh. <laughs> this property the guys like if you see one like don't they're fine unless they see the reflection and then they'll attack their reflection until like their head is bleeding and like yeah <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> anyways but uh, I, we ended up not seeing any peacocks but we could hear them all day oh, long yeah. yep. and I, I don't know if you ever heard a peacock make a peacock sound but it's like it sounds like dinosaur like can you <laughs> make the sound um 
That's as close as I can get to it. But I hope that wasn't too loud. <laughs> no, ears. that was good. Um, but it and it's funny because it, did you seriously just make that sound? Yeah, that was. <laughs> actually oh yeah. Her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm half peacock. Just like I you. have just made your acquaintance. Incredible. <laughs> 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 but I was up in this fur, which that was fun too, because there was a a propane tank <laughs> with like a gas line underneath it, and we were just deadwooding about 60 feet up, and I was like, okay. And I used, uh, Jamie, that technique you showed me where you make the top cut, and then you come in for the bottom. Oh, for finishing the stub yeah, off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. it was really nice because it was dead wood. I realized, of course, like halfway down the work that I could just like kick most of them off and then do a finishing cut, but whatever. That's not the point. Um, <laughs> but it was just funny because I, <laughs> I just installed the Senna on my on my helmet so I was listening to some tunes, but even with the music on, I could hear peacocks like, <laughs> <just> <laughs> screaming in the background. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is great. So, yeah, I guess that was a lot of stuff, but that well, was my, my Wednesday. It was very fun. So, Full of peacocks. Cool. Full of peacocks. <laughs> That's awesome. And I've, I've actually got one, too. This is a full stories from the field uh, segment, but wow. um, mine is uh, more of a close call that we had. Um, so... On our, our chipper, our smaller chipper, the uh, Vermeer 1500, it's got, um, all of our trucks have a pintle, pintle hitch on the back of it. And if you're not familiar with the pintle hitch, it's got the hook underneath and then it locks up top, right? And the receiver on the trailer is a giant, uh, basically eye, a uh, giant circle, and it just fits over the pintle and then locks on top of it, right? So the, um, the circle bit, uh, it has two, two bolts in it, right, that sit on and attach that circle bit to the chipper itself, right? Right. Uh, one of those bolts had completely sheared off and it was hard to see from, you know, we have a, at the city, we have a pretty rigorous inspection uh, system and it was just one of those parts that, you know, you check off, we have a, we have a full list that we check through every morning before we roll out of the shop, but it's just one of those things that we missed this time. Yeah. And I don't know how long it had been riding like that, but it literally had one bolt holding this chipper onto the truck and the other one was completely sheared off and it was still kind of there and rattling around but it was just one of those like oh wow that was that could have been bad wow that could have been really bad yeah Yeah. but yeah just uh again and we we kind of pride ourselves and um and maybe that was our maybe that was our shortcoming because this was kind of like one of those blind spots that we we don't really know that we have um it's just a reminder that we always have to keep vigilant about those things. And even if it's, you know, just a little bolt that you just have to, you know, maybe check or maybe twist a little bit to make sure that it's still engaged and not, you know, sheared off. Maybe it's worth, worth doing that every single time. Well, and you know, I, I didn't think about it till now, but I wonder if what was going on because we've had a seasonal that's been with us for a little while now, and he's been doing the inspection on the chip. There's three of us in the field now. And so, You've been in the boom truck, I've been in the ground truck, and he's taking care of the chipper. Right. And, you know, it's not, I'm not blaming him at all, because I've been driving the ground truck, so it is my fault if anything goes yeah. wrong there. And, and if yeah, anything, Andrew. it's and if anything, yeah. it's our fault, because we haven't it, pro- maybe trained it properly, maybe haven't walked him through it. Well, whatever. and what I'm, what I'm thinking is it's so easy to get in that rhythm. You know, I'm doing the same truck, you're doing the same truck, he's doing the piece of equipment. Right. And it might be smart for us to mix it up. Yeah. You know, even if we're just kind of used to, I'll grab these keys, you grab those keys and do it just to get different eyes and, you know, different perspective on it could be so important. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Now you guys are hitting on a really important point and 
you know, I, I work with a lot of situations, whether it's in climbing competitions or when I was contract climbing or in a training scenario with gear inspection. Uh-huh. And one of the principles is you really can't inspect your own gear very well. You're blind to those okay. things that you see every day. And you're bringing that up exactly. When we're doing a gear inspection, someone else should inspect your gear. Swap gear with another climber. Give it to someone else because they'll see it differently. And that's exactly what you're talking about, about switching inspection roles. Yeah. Well, excellent suggestion. Definitely. Yeah. You could be like, yeah, I know that carabiner's a little sticky, but I know that it is, so it's fine, right? But, yeah. You know. Yep. And yeah, that's that's yeah. smart to have someone else. And the first it. time you look at it, it just barely sticks and it's not an issue. Yeah. But you're you're checking that every day, so it's slowly you're getting used to it being a little more sticky and a little more yeah, sticky, yeah. you know. So and before you know it, you have to hammer it open and <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden it's not so good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Just don't worry about it. I I've climbed on it a bunch of times. <laughs> but it, it's true. Little, rash, it's true. little rationalizing goes a long way. Right. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Well, uh, man, that that was a pretty good stories from this field segment. A little yeah. bit of safety, a little bit of turkey fights. I mean, it went, <laughs> <laughs> it went all over the place. Even a dinosaur call. I mean, it went all over the place there. That was great. Um, so today, you know, we're kind of going back and forth with the email a little bit, trying to figure out where we wanted to go with this uh, conversation. And I love the fact that we kind of ended up going on kind of preparing for the future, you know, and for, you know, training your skills or building your business. And really those two go into building the industry. I mean, the industry is made up of who we are. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit today, but let's start off. Uh, we got a couple pretty basic questions for you, Craig. Um, the first one is, what's your favorite tree? Ooh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> uh, gosh, what's my favorite tree? I am totally stalling right now as I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> I think my answer is I think my answer is Magnolia Grandiflora. Oh, right. Magnolia. Good nice. Magnolia. Good choice. Yeah. That's a good one. Nice. That's not a usual answer no. from someone that lives in Seattle. <laughs> why is that, Craig? Why do I live in Seattle or why? No, why? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why do you live in Seattle? <laughs> uh, why is that your favorite tree? Like what characteristics about it? Uh they're so out of character for our region. Yeah, I yeah. love that it is a broadleaf evergreen. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I love that it flowers later in the year. Uh, they benefit from good care, particularly canopy reduction, canopy management. Mm-hmm. And so there's important. one down the street from me. Yeah, there's one down the street from me that I just love seeing. It's such a cool shape. I love the glossy dark green on the top surface of the leaves. And then underneath that sort of fuzzy, coppery surface below. And um, I find that contrast very interesting. Yeah, that's those trees are really tricky when you're first learning how to prune because of their growth pattern, how they elongate. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can get tricky to find a place to cut them back to in a way that'll make the tree look uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's been, a, I've noticed people have trouble learning how to prune those ones sometimes. They're really fun to climb, though. Oh, yeah. They're really easy. It's like a little, nice little ladder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really lends itself to it. And the smell. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, the smell's great. 
Nice. That's a great answer. Yeah, that's a good one. Solid. Awesome. Yeah. Gold star. I'm yeah, ready. Gold star. Yeah, gold lightning star. lightning round question All right. two. <laughs> so how did you get into tree work? Ooh, how did I get into tree work? <sighs> Let me think back. Rewinding the clock here. Uh, so, so God's honest truth here. I was in a totally different profession from when I got to college until I was 35. And at the time, coincidentally, my wife and I uh, ran a small company that did business consulting and sales training. This is not where you thought the answer was going. No. But bear with me. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's great. We, we were up in we were up in the mountains of Colorado in a place called Leadville, if anyone knows where that is, highest incorporated city in the continental US. And we were up there hanging out at this little inn and hostel. And we had been working our tails off. And when I did the math, I think we earned like three and a half dollars an hour for the last two years before that just trying to build this company over a couple of years and it was working, but it was killing us. And I, I seriously woke up Christmas morning. This was 2011. I woke up Christmas morning, turned to my wife in bed. It's still dark. It's like five 30. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. She said, what? I said, I want to close the company. She said, you know, we both work there, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know, but I can't do this. I said, we either got to put more money and time in, and I don't have either, or we got to get out before we take on a bunch of debt. She's like, okay, well, you better figure something out. So anyway, we <laughs> it was Christmas Day. We went skiing. The next day, I had my laptop because I had my laptop with me everywhere because I was always working. And I'm sitting there at the kitchen table in the morning. And I seriously opened Craigslist. I went to the job ads and I put in the word climb and I hit search and I read every job ad and I found listings for arborists and arborist trainees. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I had previously read the book, the wild trees by Richard Preston. Yeah. If you haven't read that book, it's amazing. It's yeah. A good one. It's yeah. amazing. That was, that was the first place. And I don't know what year I read that maybe in, like 2004. I don't know. I'm making up a year. And that was the first place I'd actually ever seen the word arborist. And it had kind of stuck with me. Cool book. And I read a bunch more stuff by Richard Preston. Super great writer. Super cool stuff. Anyhow, I saw this arborist training. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder how I learned to do that. So the next day, as I was reading through those ads again, I thought, I'm going to search for some companies. We were living in Denver at the time. I'm going to search for some companies and I'm going to call them. And I'm just going to ask them what it is and how do you get into this? And I ended up talking to one guy, guy by the name of Chris Tony, still know him, super cool guy, runs a small, really good tree company out of Boulder. And on December 27th, at like four in the afternoon, he spent an hour on the phone with me, and I learned he was with his family in Cleveland or something for the holidays, and I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And, and he said, well, hey, man, call me after the new year and come up and spend a half a day in shadow with us and see what this is all about. I was like, right on. So I started working on my resume, and I created sort of this outdoor, everything I could think of related to trees and whatnot. You know, I, have, I went to school for environmental science, mostly because I couldn't sit through business classes. <laughs> I had always been an outdoor kid and I got into rock climbing when I was 10 
and I had done a bunch of stuff. I was a ski patroller. I was a volunteer firefighter. I had my EMT credentials. I had done a bunch of outdoor stuff. I'd done some mountaineering, and I thought, okay, I'm going to make up sort of a non-work resume. I'm going to send this around to some tree jobs and see what comes out of it. And so <laughs> I'm 35. I went to college. I was in a business field. My wife jokes, that's our past life. I was suit guy. Now I'm tree guy. So suit guy, suit guy is about to learn the hard way what tree work is all about. And so that was December, Christmas, New Year's 2011. And interestingly, my wife was looking at job ads one evening. She goes, hey, I found this one. Arborist trainee. You ought to check it out. They're up in Golden. Okay. And on Friday the 13th, my favorite day of the year, I got hired for my first tree job with Schulhoff Tree and Lawn Care in Golden, Colorado, and I started work January 16th, the following Monday, and uh, I learned an awful lot real quick. So anyway, long story long, that's how I got into it. Oh, that's great. What that's Do you remember your first job? To my, my first role in the company or my first tree job the first tree job when you first showed up at work and kind of what that was like maybe the first one that i remember being on was a was the removal of a plains cottonwood in a backyard must have been in golden or you know west side of denver somewhere and there were like five of us and this big ass chipper and i didn't know any about chippers at the time I honestly had used a chainsaw one time before getting into this profession. And there's a guy up in the tree just bombing it, just <laughs> burying us. And we are almost running to keep up with this giant stuff he's cutting out of the tree. He's making like six-inch or eight-inch cuts, dropping 40-foot limbs in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and two or three guys are trying to yard this through the gate, and somebody cutting it up, and a bunch of people yelling and yeah. Damn, he hazed you. That was the first one I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. It For me, my first job, it just, I remember it was a long day. We ended up, I was, I was chipping it when it was dark out with a truck parked behind us with the headlights on the chipper. Oh, and I remember nice. just being so tired and being like, what did I get into? <laughs> like, oh, no. But, you know, then just kept doing it and thinking like, well, if I can make it through this day, you know, it's not going to get much worse than this. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's it's great. Funny, it's funny you mentioned that. I got I got to the end of my first week, and I came home. And now I have to give a little, little backup. Because I'd been a volunteer firefighter and into rock climbing and whatnot, I had been into CrossFit. And so I was pretty fit getting into this. So it was from a sort of an endurance and muscular fitness level, I felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I came home and my arms were torn up from that week uh, dealing yeah. with, you know, uh, thorny honey locusts and cottonwood with gnarly bark and um, a lot of green ash and all these things. I was just shredded from, you know, the middle of the bicep down because it's, you know, Colorado and you have a sunny day in the winter and you're getting down to short sleeves because you're, you know, breaking ass trying to drag brush getting out of the backyard. And I was torn up. And my wife, Joanna, looks at me at the end of the week and goes, are you sure this is a good idea? <laughs> and I said, yes. And what I really meant was, I don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you wear your suit jacket next time. It'll protect, protect your arms. <laughs> you know, it's a great idea. Yeah. It's a great idea. But yeah, whew, that introduction to it. Oh, I, I love that you found your job on Craigslist because that's how I stumbled into tree climbing too. I was just perusing Craigslist and I saw a tree climber position and I'm like, that sounds interesting. I would like to find out what that's all about. Exactly. That's it's, awesome. it, it's just such a random, random way to f- get into this industry, but I'm glad that somebody else shares that experience with me. It's especially great because your name is Craig. And it's... Craig's oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish it was my <laughs> It took everyone a minute. I think it actually wasn't funny, and that's why. <laughs> you're, you're right, it wasn't funny. It was uh, <laughs> Breaking my heart. Well, well since... Since it's come up, I, I do want to give a shout out to the guys at, at Schulhoff and uh, Rob Smith, who I think is still there, was my, my supervisor here as our department manager, and he was extremely generous. And I'll tell you, you brought up mentoring earlier, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. He was a mentor to me, and he, he gave me as much rope as I could run with, figuratively speaking, and was willing to teach me, was willing to take a risk on, you know, suit guy, right? Yeah. That didn't grow up in this profession. Seriously, I was 35 the first day I was doing tree work. Mm-hmm. And the guy in the tree was like 24. And the guy, other guys on the ground were like 21. You know, so anyway, to Rob Smith, and I think Corey Clemenson's still there. And I think uh, AG, AJ Furstein's still there. I learned a lot from all those guys. And I want to give a shout out to them because I have a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right so on. Good. One of the best, he, he was a good climber, but... He was one of the best, like, uh, lower down guys I ever worked with. He, you know, he could, you could take a big top and you'd barely feel it. And he, it was the same story for him. He, it was a little later in life. He was an artist, you know, and he went, he was from England and he came here on vacation and he saw some people doing tree work. And I don't know exactly how old, but, you know, 30s, 35, somewhere in there is what I want to say. And, uh, sure, you know, sure enough, he was just like, I want to do that. And, Put his mind to it, went back to England and got on with a crew there. And, uh, yeah, he's a great tree guy. He's, he's doing pottery now. Hopefully, hopefully he listens Dave shout out to the bloke, you know, if you're listening, but, uh, there it's never too late to start. I mean, I think one of the, one of the main things in this industry, one of the things that kind of sets it apart is you need the passion more than anything. You know, you really need to kind of love tree work to do a good job. And, you know, that, if you respect it, then you'll, you know, be thinking about safety and you'll be thinking about all those things you need to think about. It's not rocket science. You can learn all that other stuff pretty quick. You know, it's a, in my mind, it's about whether or not you are passionate and have the right attitude towards the work more than anything. It's really the question that you're getting at is passion, but how hard are you willing to work? And what we usually think of yeah. that meaning is physically how hard are you willing to work? You know, how dig- deep are you going to go? How big a log are you going to carry? How much brush can you drag? How much pain can you take? And certainly there is, there is some aspect of that in the physical sense of our profession. So it's interesting. We have a lot of cutting tools to make things smaller and lighter, and yet we carry heavy things. <laughs> Putting that aside for a moment, this idea of how hard are you willing to work to learn to grow, to improve yourself, to improve your crew, whether it's skills, safety, scientific knowledge, all those things. How hard are you willing to work? That's the only limitation on how far you're going to go. Yeah. Yep. Just that putting the time in. There's no substitute for putting the time in. Yeah. That, that's for sure. 
And I mean, you can go from being suit guy to having your your own business in a matter of years, and that's obviously the result of a lot of hard work. This suit guy thing's gonna follow me. <laughs> 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 you never should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be your new nickname. That's yeah. that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I'm hoping that I've gotten to the point now where when you Google my name, the first thing that comes up is not my old LinkedIn profile. But if you do Google me, my wife is listening and laughing here, but if you do Google me, you might see a picture of suit guy out there. Oh, great. Oh, nice. (laughs) So I will share one thought with you. Speaking of mentorship and learning and whatnot, and and something that Rob Smith, the manager at Schulhoff, when I first started working there, maybe I was two weeks in week and a half, At the end of the day, he gives me this book and he gave me um, the book, uh, Arbiculture, Integrated Management of Landscape Trees, Shrubs, and Vines by Harris, Clark, Matheny, and Harris. Mm-hmm. I'll say it one more time. Arbiculture, <laughs> Integrated Management of Landscape Trees, Shrubs, and Vines by Harris, Clark, Matheny, and Harris. It's one of the Bibles of our profession. And this, I don't remember, but this book is like 900 pages. This thing is huge. And he gave it to me and he said, I think you might want this. And it was his copy. And I seriously spent the next nine months reading that book where I was living and where I worked were 25 miles away. So I'd get up in the morning and to beat traffic, I'd drive out to Golden early. I'd be a half hour early. I'd stop at a coffee shop and I'd sit down there and I'd start reading through the book. And it's, it's um, soil structure and macro and micronutrients and pruning methods and uh, insects, pests, and diseases, and all these things that at the time meant almost nothing to me. But I think about that book and the fundamental knowledge that sort of stuck in my brain that I'm finally connecting the dots on year after year after year. And it was a slog. No offense to the authors. It was a slog getting through that because I wasn't quite ready for it. Are, really? But With a title like that, it, it sounds like it started me rhythm. in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it, right. It's like, it's like reading an OSHA manual. But it, it really, it, it's all pertinent to what we do. And it was such an incredible foundation. And Rob Smith gave me his copy of the book. I read it. <laughs> I gave it back to him nine months later. I was like, that was really good. Thank you. He's like, you read the whole thing? Like, yeah, of course I read the whole thing. <laughs> but it, it really, it was a really good investment of time, even though it, sometimes I was just pushing to get through it because I didn't have all the context. Mm-hmm. But over time, all the pieces are fitting together and I'm getting ready to take my board certified master arborist exam. And I think about that darn book all the time. Oh, that's so great. The, uh, it's really that sets you up with such a great foundation, you know, and I wonder, so I'm kind of the opposite end. I, I grew up in a family with tree guys. I was, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was climbing on a Blake's hitch in my uh, backyard. You know, my stepdad was showing me how to do it. Yeah. Very lucky. And I, you know, got in and I was lucky to be on a great crew as soon as I could work in the field. And I think there's something to be said for, first getting into it when you're a little older and a little more mature and you, you know, you have the uh, maturity to say, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to digest this book, even though it's not a fun read for me, it was the opposite. I just kind of learned on the go and, you know, 
uh, worked in the field and picked up information and Hey, I'm not complaining. I loved how I, how I got where I'm at and am grateful for it. But the, I don't know, having, getting in with that foundation is just awesome to me. How hard are you willing to work? Right. Yeah. And, and we come at it from different, different perspectives. You were 10 learning to climb. I was 35. Yeah. I was married. I had a mortgage. I guess I still have both. I am married. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is listening. <laughs> and, and I very quickly realized, I think it took me about one day, maybe half a day to realize I was not going to be able to drag brush very long and either A, survive or B, pay the bills. I had to find a way to make a place for myself. I, and the only way I was going to do it was through knowledge. I was yeah. going to learn as much as I could, both the skill and the science of it. And I was going to earn every opportunity I possibly could because I had, I honestly, I had to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. I had just put both of us out of work. Remember <laughs> I put my <laughs> wife and I both out of work on Christmas more or less. And I got to make up for that. And that was, that was the, the motivation that drove me. And I think in many ways still does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you progress, you know, in this industry is taking it on yourself to learn as much as you can, you know, and something I kind of think of is I think in Europe, I don't know much about this, like where at, but I feel like you have to go to school to be an arborist, right? Like it's a, it's a profession. Whereas here it's still a little bit cowboy, you know, you can answer a Craigslist ad and get a job, you know, you could yeah call around random tree companies and just start working. Um, I know we sent you some like pre-interview stuff and uh, that was something you yeah. kind of wanted to talk about was arboriculture as a profession, not just a job. So if you want to, you know, elaborate on that a bit. Yeah. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to recognize somebody who has contributed a lot to our profession and who, uh, who left us last year. Some of you may know the name Degere Litchfield. Uh, Degere uh, lived in Sweden, though he wasn't Swedish. Um, he was South African and has lived all over the world. And as as I heard the story, when Degere started his company, it was the first uh, company to use the term and the introduction of the term arborist in the Swedish language. Wow! And I had the I had the opportunity to get to know Degere over the last four or five years through climbing competitions uh, down in Latin America and Mexico. And then uh, at the North American and International Championships, and he invited me to come over and, and volunteer at the European Championships. And my wife and I got to spend some time with him in Sweden a year ago, excuse me, two years ago now, 2019 July. And we learned later that year um, that Degere was very ill. And unfortunately, he passed early in 2020. Mm-hmm. And he did so much for this profession. Um whether it was uh, volunteering his time, contributing to the body of knowledge, uh, inventing uh, equipment, including the ring and ring friction saver. He was involved in that. No matter what, no matter what you hear from other companies. Wow. And uh, he is someone who has influenced many, many arborists around the world and shared his time, energy, knowledge, and passion for arboriculture with so many people. And the reason I want to acknowledge him, one is he was 
really, he was a giant in this profession, but two, he's the one who continually would say to me, anytime I used the word industry, he would say, it's not an industry, it's a profession. Okay. And as we were, (laughs) Andrew, you sent me a great list of questions and you spurred me to look up the word profession. And I hope Degaray is listening from somewhere because, God darn it, I looked up what the definition of it is of a profession. And if I might share two of them that I found. Please do. Yeah. One of them, the, the Oxford Languages, which is, I guess, the group of dictionaries, says a profession is a paid occupation, especially one that involves prolonged training and a formal qualification. Mm. Well, that sure seems to describe an arborist, doesn't it? Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. No. And then I found one from the Australian Council of Professions, and I have no idea what that is. Sounds official. It's official. It sounds very official. <laughs> but I really like this little short paragraph, and if I might read it to you, I have not memorized these. I'm reading them. It says, a profession is a disciplined group of individuals who adhere to ethical standards and who hold themselves out as and are accepted by the public as possessing special knowledge and skills in a widely recognized body of learning derived from research, education, and training at a high level, and who are prepared to apply this knowledge and exercise these skills in the interest of others. Mm. That that stuck with me. Yeah, that resonates. Yeah. Really, it makes that, me feel really special. That is, that is fantastic. <laughs> and I've fallen into that same. Uh, I I use industry and profession interchangeably, but I I will never call the tree care industry the in, tree care industry anymore. It's tree care profession. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's incredible. It's a profession, and the idea of or the concepts of training, qualification, research education and the idea of applying all of those that skill set in the interest of others that definition would make degare proud and that is something i aspire to be and something that i want to share with others yeah well uh i think you do share that with others what you know before uh talking to you getting ready for this one of the things that stood out uh kind of thinking back as you know, about our, our brief interactions was at competitions and how on point you were with making sure the gear was dialed in exactly. But more than just that, you would take the time to explain why things needed to be the way they were. And that really stuck out to me. And I think that goes along with kind of the difference maybe between like kind of the thought of an industry and a profession. The industry is you're just doing it. The profession is you're educating the people around you and kind of making everybody better through doing it. I don't know. It, uh, that's awesome. I feel like the profession, not the industry, the profession is getting better, but what are some things you think are like holding it back right now? Mm, now you open the door. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, a can of couple worms. of thoughts. Uh, I told you, you might actually hear what I really think. Well, we're ready. <laughs> yeah, bring it. <laughs> well, I, as I said to you early on, uh, I stand by what I say and I'll own my words if, if people disagree. And I'm, I'm wide open to a conversation. I think, I think disagreement and discussion is, is essential to our democracy and essential to the growth of us as individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So here we go. A couple of little beefs that I have that around things that are holding us back. 
And one of them is that pictures of removing trees look cool. (laughs) Big saws and knuckle booms and rigging and sawdust flying and huge chippers and grapple trucks. That stuff is all cool. It's all cool. And there are plenty of trees that need to come down. I just looked at a western hemlock this afternoon that has an obvious decay column the entire height. It's got large woodpecker holes. It's significant dieback, and it leans over the fence into the neighbor's yard. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of trees that need to come down. Mm -hmm. But there are so many that are just, just slaughtered, slaughtered here in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I probably mentioned to you, or or you know this, that I uh, was a contract climber for a couple of years as I was getting my own business started. And I I learned quickly there were some companies I wanted to contract with and others maybe not so much. And one of the jobs that just broke me on tree removal, just broke me, it kind kind of soured me on contract climbing or at least changed my perspective, was outside the city, out in a suburb, it's a little bit notorious for disappearing trees. And I was there on the second day of a job to remove a Doug fir. Oh, I meant to mention this earlier. Let's be clear in our language. Douglas fir, pseudotsugum, and zizii, right? right. Precision of language. Yes. All right. A fir could mean so many things. So let's, as arborists, <laughs> professional be specific. And use yep. professional terms, right? <laughs> yeah. Be specific. So pseudotsugum and zizii, a Douglas fir, in a backyard, nothing wrong with it. I just happened to be the one who had the skill to rig down the limbs over the house. Mm-hmm. The tree was uh, 30-something inches diameter and uh, 120 feet tall. Uh, it was the fourth tree of that size that was being removed off of a quarter-acre lot uh, in two days. Yeah. So in two days, 600 vertical feet of healthy native conifer was removed from a suburban lot. For no reason other than they wanted more light to their yard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can think of a lot of places in the country that have plenty of sunlight and very few trees. <laughs> yeah. And the Seattle area ain't one of them. Yeah, the PNW is and not. And what yeah. I'm getting at, what I'm getting at is why were those trees removed? One, because the property owner wanted to turn it into somewhere else which is why we have tree protection codes, except that suburb does not. And two, a company that holds themselves out as an arborist service said, yeah, sure, we'll cut them down. And I'm still pissed about that. And I showed up the second day to cut down the fourth tree because I had the skills to do it. And I felt like the biggest effing tool. I'm still sickened by that job. Yeah. I'm sure most of and, us have kind of and, had a job like that. Oh, yeah. We've all had those kinds of things, right? Yeah. yeah. So you asked me what's holding us back. One, cutting down trees is profitable. Mm-hmm. The pictures look cool. <laughs> the toys, excuse me, tools are cool, <laughs> right? Big right. sauce. Oh, yeah, big sauce. I yeah. feel like I you can use chipper. toys and tools interchangeably. Yeah. In this <laughs> <sense>. yeah. <laughs> I wish we didn't, but we can. Yeah, And so here's another thing. The, what do I want to call it? I'm going to call it tree porn. Use that right? You've heard the term like horn porn for hunting magazines or ski porn for ski magazines. Yeah. So this is tree porn. 
and the catalogs and the industry publications that use the word tree care on the cover. I'm not naming names, but it says tree care, among other words, on the cover. And almost every month, the cover photo is someone cutting down a tree. The most recent one was an issue focused on women in arboriculture. And you know what that said on the cover by the photo? Women cut down trees too. Mm. I love the idea of women in arboriculture. Yeah. Women are a lot smarter than men. They can bring a lot to this profession. You heard But him. showcasing mm. that women cut down trees too is a disservice to this entire profession. Yeah. yeah. I told you you'd hear what I really think. So, okay, then what do you say? Because this is, this is what, you know, this is the excuse I always hear is, well, the tree is going to come down anyways. Somebody's going to make money off of it. And, you know, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. I fully agree with you that that is not a good excuse. But what do you tell somebody when they say that? I have said that to myself before. Yeah, I have too. That you know, I have said that to myself before. I don't. I don't think so here's, it's here's a good thing thought. to say, but it, you know, it's it's the easy thing to say. So I I used to say to people, and I'm answering a different question, but I'll get around to what you're asking. I used to say to people, I'm excited because I have a career that allows me to go out and climb trees every day, and I've learned that the most important thing I do is explain trees. Mm. I spend time every day explaining trees to people, and I often climb them afterward. And part of explaining trees is helping the, the homeowner, property owner, tree manager understand the trees on their property, the value they provide, the risks they may or may not present, and how to understand what they have heard from other tree companies. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, one is the, oh, that tree is thick. Yeah. How many of us have gone out to look at a tree and you get there and they say, oh yeah, we talked to somebody else. I want you to look at this one back here. They said the tree is thick. Yeah. I'm immediately skeptical of whoever they've talked to. Yeah. Because anyone in this field realizes that the tree is thick means nothing. Right. Yeah. It's like if your dentist said, oh, that tooth, that tooth is bad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. how good would you feel about a dentist if they said your tooth was bad right that's like saying a tree is sick yeah, right? yeah. and you look and you go oh you mean this pitch this resin on the backside? yeah or oh that dead limb up there well let's talk about what that means relative to the tree's condition what it might or might not indicate what is the risk associated with that and what are your choices for managing this tree on your property and I'd probably Our say role as arborist is first to explain trees. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'd, I'd say 80% of the time when someone asks, Hey, is this tree dying? Look at that deadwood. The answer is it, that it's just being shaded out. Those are just branches. The tree doesn't need anymore. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. You know, that's the answer most of the time for me when I see that. Yeah. How often is it that you go out to a tree and it's actually worse than what the homeowner thinks it is? Yeah. It's really pretty rare, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And people, we were talking about this in the bidding episode too. People's, uh, what was it we were referring to? Uh, like their uh, risk, uh, risk, risk tolerance. Yeah, risk tolerance is really, really low. Well, and that's hard because what happens is, you know, uh, an arborist without the, the, uh, you know, the morals to the tree, or knowledge, or the, yeah, or the knowledge. or knowledge, yeah, that's true. they start selling the fear. 
And so they, you know, because it's easy to sell fear. And that puts the next person, if that's somebody that cares about the tree, in a hard position. Because then you're you're not just trying to educate him, but you're also battling fear, which is one of those most primal decision-making emotions that we have. Yeah, I also kind of feel, though, it's it's just as easy to to kind of educate yourself and your clients and your cohorts. Yeah. And then and then not take that approach. Yeah. And it, everyone and everything is better in that way. Yeah, it is. Well, I'll think it's re- reassuring. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh-huh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a, a bid that me and Jamie did. Uh-huh. Uh, remember those big redwoods? Right. Yeah. It was an apartment complex that uh, I've worked with them in the past and we had just taken down a, Honestly, a beautiful Oregon white oak. But I agreed to take it down, and I told them, at first I told them I wasn't interested, but they wanted it uh, removed because the roots were just destroying concrete on a couple sides and growing into a pool. And they actually had uh, had the pool, the cement shaved down for years now, and they had kind of done everything to the point where the concrete guy was like, hey, the only thing you can do is like move the pool or you need to remove this tree, you know. And so because they had worked for, you know, four or five years and done everything they could to save the tree, I was like, all right, I'll work with you on this tree. But then they called me back, you know, a month or so later to look at these uh, big redwood trees, coastal redwoods, beautiful trees. They were pretty big trees also. Yeah. Um, And I just said, nope. And it was lifting up a garage, and we were like, you know, here, here is what you can do. And I actually didn't say no. And this is something that I've started doing because if you just say no, it's just they say, okay, we're done, and they're on to the next one. But I said, it's going to be so expensive for you to hire me to remove those trees that it's not going to be worth it. It would be more, you know, it would make more sense financially for you to fix the foundation and prune the roots on these uh, redwoods. You know, and so I, I tried to steer the conversation away from the removal, you know, instead of just saying no, because if I say no, they, they're still thinking removal. Yeah, well, they were worried about the tree leaning, too. You know, it had to. Yeah, but that, it wasn't a factor. No, it's not. It <laughs> yeah, usually yeah. isn't, you know. Tree lean is like the single biggest killer of any kind of tree yeah. anywhere. But that's, that's also why you have the conversation, because then you're building the relationship. And if you have a relationship with them, then they'll listen to you. You you know. Then all of a sudden, you can battle the fear. Yeah. You know because they trust you, and that's how that's how you beat fear is with trust. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we we recommended like air, well air spading and maybe a little root pruning and fixing the foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were like this. These trees are worth more than that garage. <laughs> 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 you know? You're you're bringing up great examples, and and are there trees that need to be removed? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. The, my concern is exactly what you've described and the idea of being a tool, right? And yeah. the tool is when the client says, I'm worried about it. How, I think we should cut it down. You know, my neighbor said it's sick. Or the best is the roofer or the, uh, the landscaper or the asphalt guy or the electrician next door said that tree looks sick how much to cut it down Mm. and somebody unfortunately too many buddies say uh $2,400 yeah that's being a tool 
Well, yeah, and it Don't happens. Just show up and say, "What do you want me to do?" Oh, me cut tree. Yes. How much? Twenty four. Great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it, not doing anybody a service. That is not using knowledge, skill, and experience for the benefit of others. It's being a tool. Yeah, kind of um, leads back into something I think we did want to cover too is a training and how uh, ethics sometimes is missing from the training. You know, you get like someone that's an awesome climber teaches you how to climb and you're really good at climbing or someone who's really an experienced Sawyer teaches you everything about chainsaws and you're great, but there's sometimes you have to find just the right person to kind of teach you about like the biological and the, you know, the benefits of trees or all the ethical components that go into this profession and um yeah i guess if you wanted to talk a little bit about that too um like where you know where how do we mitigate that in moving forward um for for people who are new or just the direction that we're going with all this yeah becca are you in charge of keeping us on topic (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying (laughs) excellent i like it it's it's a great question and, and there's so many things that go into it and let's start with one thought which is if we have individuals in this profession who are up in the tree and don't understand tree biology and they are making cuts on the tree, I think we have people who are underprepared for doing that task. And you are exactly right. Training must include the science side as well as the skill and implementation side. And how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? And that's one of, I think, our big challenges. And I suspect that it's related to uh, what I'm going to call a a gap, a gap in the organizational structure of most small to mid-sized tree companies. And I'll define that as one crew to probably four crews, one crew to four crews, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're putting between two and 12 people in the field. And the gap is the, crew leader, trainer, safety specialist role. Some people call it a field supervisor. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Let's look at the career path of somebody in this profession, and let's assume they have an interest to climb. So they show up, they come in on the ground, right? They're the groundie, the grounds person, the branch manager, the doctor of drag, whatever you want to call them, right? And they earn their their time, (laughs) I almost said earn your spurs. <laughs> they earn their time. They earn their time, their opportunity, drag and brush. All right, that's fine. And then they have a chance to climb. And we all know that some people find that climbing not for them, but other people take to it. So they become a climber. They get to climb occasionally, and then they're the back climber with the bucket truck. And then they're a lead climber. Then they're the foreman on their own crew. And in a company of, let's say there's two crews or three crews, you're the foreman there and you get your certified arborist. Maybe you get your CTSP, your Certified Tree Care Safety Professional, which is a really cool program if you haven't done it yet. You get your CTSP and you're with that company five years, seven years. Maybe you've been there 10 years now. What comes next? Mm-hmm. What is the career path? Where can you, he or she, go well the company already has an owner and there's nobody between the owner and you you got two choices you stay or you go 
And what happens with people who are motivated, who are who, one of my favorite terms, an autodidact, someone who is self-educating, somebody who pursues knowledge, somebody who's motivated, who continues to lift their skill and knowledge level. What do they do? They either go find a bigger company where there's a middle management type, leadership, field role. They start their own company or they become a contract climber. And there aren't that many middle management safety training roles out there. It's a really small opportunity. Mm-hmm. So most of them go start their own company. And that's part of the reason we have a million small companies and we repeat the problem again. Mm. The career path is so limited. Groundsperson, climber, maybe bucket operator, aerial lift operator, crew leader, maybe. And then what? Does you have to become an entrepreneur? You have to go start your own company or become a contract climber. And there's this brain drain that happens. Yeah. Because once you know enough, there's nowhere to go. So you go do your own thing. So and it happens over and over. How how do we convince or how do we make it profitable for companies to take the time to take that guy that's right about to take that next step and, you know, get him track certified and, you know, maybe put him in charge of hiring or put him in charge of gear purchase or give them a responsibility where they can earn a little bit more money, they can educate, they can bring value to your company. Like what what does that look like, do you think? couple of thoughts. And it goes back to pruning versus removals. And correct me if you feel differently, but it's my observation and the observation of others from larger companies who see profit and loss sheets with more data than mine has, that tree preservation, tree pruning, cabling, plant healthcare, those kinds of services are more profitable than tree removal because there's way more competition for tree removal. Anybody can buy a chainsaw. So part of the answer to that is transitioning companies to do more tree preservation. Yeah, that's interesting. Which drives more revenues and even better, more profit in the business and creates a better financial climate within the company to invest in the growth and development of employees. Yeah, there's like more skill sets. Also, go ahead. Exactly. And it's also less mm, physical labor oriented. So the career path is longer. You lose fewer people to injuries or thinking better of dragging brush every day or carrying heavy logs, right? We lose a whole bunch of people that get out of this profession because of the physical demands, typically related with tree removal. And it, we can, with companies with a better balance between tree preservation and removal, the financial climate is better, the working environment is better, the opportunity to provide more training, more learning, more growth, whether it's growing the company or growing employee opportunities, is better. I think that's one part of it. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it, creating those opportunities within a company for someone to move up. Because I, I think, so uh, my family business that I worked in for 18 years and worked every position more or less I could in the company before I went to the city, that's how they do it. They try to set it up so that, you know, once you've got a certain level, you become a crew leader. 
And then once you become a crew leader and you've, you know, proven yourself as a crew leader, they start giving you other responsibilities and giving you pay as those responsibilities come, you know, and they, uh, hire, you know, they try to hire people and, and just train them the whole way so that the people that are there know the way the companies run and they do everything within, you know, uh, as a team, uh, which has been successful, but they're also, it's a company that has grown over the years. So it's, you know, it's probably, a, you know, four or five crew, you know, it's right above that level that you're talking about. Um, so they can, that, that's the tricky part is how do you grow the company to that level where you can do that? Because I think when you're first starting out as a, you know, as a, in a, in the tree world, you kind of, those removals are your bread and butter for a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's interesting what he brought up, uh, preservation versus removals i there's more job opportunities in preservation because there's things like oh you could be like the plant health care yeah. specialist you know uh -huh. that's kind of this job role you can grow into if you learn enough you know we can put you in that role you could be the cabling bracing you know totally building supports person yep um and that's the way to do it air spading like yeah. there's so many different things than yeah know, uh, rigging and felling and well and then you can also go it gives a place you know when you start expanding to get out of the field because then you can become the person that writes the reports and does the track you know stuff yeah, that's the, interesting. The, the which is i two thumbs up man mm -hmm. like smiling ear to ear hearing this but i think there is a point of the in-between you know the the two-person crew to the you know, or the two field employees to the, you know, 10 field employees. There's like this weird in-between space yeah. where it's hard to, to cover that gap. Right. You know, and I, I don't think it's impossible because like Sperry, my family's company has always tried to be, you know, we were the first company in town that was, you know, Sperry tree care instead of, you know, tree cutting, <laughs> you know, so they always had that in mind, but even being that company, uh, the truth is, for a while, removals were the bread and butter of the company. And we always would try to talk people out of removing trees that didn't need to be removed and do that. But I think that's still, there. there is a hard point there where you're, you know, when you're clawing and scraping to survive as a company and your competition is selling these removals, man, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, or it like, is. Uh, it is t turnover too. Like maybe yeah. you're a small yeah. company and you're the owner. So you're having to do all of those things that we, you know, just talked about. You're, yeah. you're out writing the reports, you're the plant healthcare specialist, all, all sorts of stuff because you don't have employees sticking around long enough because yeah. you know they get to a certain level and go off on their own or it's not for them. We have a high turnover rate in this profession. I think, you know, yeah. Why do, why do you think people leave? What do you think the big reasons are that people leave a job with a particular tree company? I think some people, it's just not for them. And that's pretty quick. You know, you figure that out pretty quick. Yeah. And then other, yep. probably pay is a big one too. Well, yeah. I think too, and like the plateau factor, like what Craig yep. was talking about, you get to a certain point where you're not, you're not growing in any way and you don't, you don't attain any more responsibilities or, you know, you just kind of max out at a certain point mm -hmm. and the the only higher position you could have would be to own the company and you just and it's not yours so yeah. <laughs> yeah. i i would think that there's 
there's a certain leadership component to it as well. Yeah. You know, you have all yeah. these, you have all these tree care or you have all these climbers who are fam- phenomenal climbers, right? Being a phenomenal climber does not make you a good businessman and it does not make you necessarily a good leader. I've known some really great climbers who were terrible leaders, mm. you know? I mean, they can, they can, you know, chuck brush with the best of them or, you know, to, uh, chop down a tree like with the best of them, but they're not great leaders. They're burying their groundsmen and, you know, everybody on the ground hates them because they, <laughs> right. they made a salad yeah, out of the tree. Yeah, they made a salad out of the tree. <laughs> and they're out there screaming at them like, hurry up, fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's, cert- there's certainly a leadership aptitude component, right? Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to the, the pay subject you mentioned, and, and this isn't about how much we pay, but I, I would encourage us to use another word okay you know putting on my suit guy hat yeah, here here, for <laughs> here he comes yeah put on the suit guy hat. it's what in, the industry in needs is a little other, suit guy yeah. <laughs> and he's a little suit guy now and then. yeah um, in most other professions the term that would be used is compensation okay mm. yeah not just pay yeah. yeah right if we if we view this as a job with pay we could be digging ditches we could be doing anything right? That is a job and I pay you to do a job. Mm-hmm. Compensation represents something much larger. And what could compensation include? Hey, it could include professional development. It could include education. It right. could uh, include all kinds of things that advance the well-being, the financial stability, and the professional opportunities for that employee. And if we use the word compensation, I think that encourages us to see the interaction the interaction between an employee and an employer differently there's a great quote and i cannot tell you who it's from but it says if you didn't learn something today you missed out on half your compensation nice hmm. i really like that you and brought when i that think up. about yeah when i think about a role at a company being employed there's a few things that i would want one is there's got to be money i get that you got it there has to be a wage, a salary, whatever it might be. But there has to be the opportunity to learn and grow. Because I don't want to be doing the same thing in five years that I'm doing today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to be doing something different. And I realize that unless I am learning, I'm not going anywhere. And when we – I hear so often that, oh, it's hard to find people. It's hard to find people. And at the same time, it's hard to keep people. It's hard to keep yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And I suspect – it's because, or a reason for it, is that as employers, I put myself in that role, we could do better in terms of providing a broader type of compensation or a broader range of compensation, including professional development for our employees. Because we tend to think of what is they can do for me, what can they do for me, and I give them money. You work hard, I pay you. Okay, that's great, sure but where is this going, right? Mm-hmm. And what if instead we said, hey, this guy, I'm going to pick a name, uh, Keith, right? Keith does some work for me. He's pretty good. He's got some aptitude. He's motivated. What? Where could Keith go? How high can Keith go? Well, he's got some aptitude. He's got some education. He's got physical skill. He's got some talent for climbing. He's got a good head on his shoulders. I wonder if he can learn this. Hey, Keith, you want to go... Uh, Next month, there's a class here. You want to go? Sure. And six six months down the road, hey, there's another one. Do you want to go? Yeah, sure. And then Keith comes to me and says, hey, I'd like a little more pay. And I say, okay, let's see where we're at. Okay, I can do part of that. 
how about next year we set aside a budget for training and we'll get you to this many training programs and I can give you a little bit extra pay and when you complete those. Hey, sure, great. And now all of a sudden Keith has gone to track and he's gone to an aerial lift operators training and he has attended this and attended that. And he comes back and he says, look, boss, I did all these things. Yep, and I see you doing those in the field. It's easy to pay you more money now because you're doing more for the company. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we have this two-way street of compensation where the employee is gaining and growing, and guess what? The employer is gaining and growing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So we tend to think of, what can our employees do? But what if we said instead, what could we accomplish with a group of badass arborists? Yeah, yeah. And how do we take who we have and build them up to that? And we go crush it. Oh, well, yeah. That's and, the plan. I know those companies are out there. You know, I got lucky enough. The first company I was on, the owner was all about like sending me to trainings and stuff. I happened to move towns. That's why I left. Otherwise, I would definitely still be working with them. You know, plenty of room for growth and everything. So, so that's interesting. If you're new to the industry, tree people are hiring. You know, you can find those companies that are going to invest in you, you know, and in return, you'll be investing in their company. Yeah. And I, well I, said. I think what you're, uh, I think one of the problems that uh, I've seen is that when you're the skills it takes to start a company and to get a company from two people to 10 people, I think are different skills than it takes to build it from there. You know, because I think to 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 get the company off the ground, it takes that I'm going to do everything I can do and I'm going to make it happen. But what we're talking about now is not I'm going to do everything I'm going to do, but it's how can I delegate these responsibilities really in a way that I'm taking some of those those responsibilities off of my plate, which is hard for somebody who's just spent five or ten years making sure they did everything just the way they wanted to do it. And then now they have a successful company. So the the reward for them is I did it this way and that brought me success. So I think it's hard for them to then shift gears you know and and start delegating like that that that's a problem i've seen people have to kind of fight with as their companies grow and i think that might be kind of what you're getting at a little bit is is or i guess what we're getting at with this conversation is there's this interesting place where companies have to learn how to shift and almost use different skills because really one person can only manage so many people effectively Mm -hmm. you know Oh, it's a span of control. Do you know that term? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the span of control? Who can define that? It's uh, how many. I heard some yeses. Yeah. How many? It's uh, how how many people one person can manage? Like he, like show? one person can only manage five people. So for every five took, person team, there should be. <laughs> so we took this really boring federal. Uh, what was that class? FEMA. That's FEMA class. Hey, yeah. this hey, hey man, I, I love that class. Yeah. <laughs> I every second of that class. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Gross. So I may not have retained that definition exactly. Yeah. So go ahead, Craig, with the definition. <laughs> you guys all said you're, yes. I, don't know. Yeah. I know the you're, you're overall exactly right, concept. <laughs> it comes out of organizational structures and U.S. government, military, other large organizations, fire services have identified that a leader can manage effectively between three and seven people. Okay. 
And that's why the fundamental sort of unit organization of many large companies, militaries, whatever it might be, is this small unit that has typically about five people. And once you get beyond that, you really start to lose touch with you, lose your ability to manage, guide, nurture, train, develop, whatever term you want to use. You lose your ability to do that. So let's go back to our scale. One crew, two crews, oh, there's our five. Yep. Now, what do we see so often? We see there's a company owner, and now he or she has, wants to add a third crew or a fourth crew, and the ability to manage all that goes down quickly. And for we're based on the concepts of span of control, for every two or three crews, we really need a mid-level manager person, somebody to fill that role. Maybe it's a full-time job, maybe it's not, but the owner can no longer manage everybody and develop everybody effectively when you get beyond that. It's just too hard. Oh, and it goes back to Becca's training question. How do we get better? We have to have companies that are set up effectively to manage, train, develop people. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was uh, running crews at Sperry, it, it was at a point where the company was kind of going up and down and growing and, you know, then the reset recession hit. So we had to shrink. And so I think that's part of the reason people have a hard time because when you're in that kind of ebb and flow stage of building a company, you know, there would be one point where we'd be down to four or five people. And that was always easy for me to manage four or five. You know, we had, you know, usually two crews, one or two crews, depending on uh, the situation. And that's no problem. You know, you get the work orders. It's easy to figure out whose skills go where and do it. But then when we grow up to, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 people, then it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to manage four crews, you know, and figure out all these different personalities, who works good with who. And yeah, so that I think that's we're keying in on one of the big uh, problems in growth right now. But the all you got to do is figure out how, you know, if you can have those main leaders that you can trust to assign and have that structure figured out as you grow, you build that structure rather than growing and just trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? It's about having that plan in advance. So as it happens, you can put it in place, I think. It's easier to put the framework up first and then the building versus the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Have a plan for it. So, so here's another factor that goes in there. And, and I think entrepreneurship, starting small businesses, is something that's sort of, it's a really strong part of our American culture. You know, we're a culture that celebrates entrepreneurship. And I, I like that. I've benefited from that. I'm a I'm the third generation in a row of entrepreneurs in my family, and somehow that just dawned on me the other day. But what's interesting about our profession is that the, in most areas, the barrier to entry are, is so low mm -hmm. that anybody can start a tree company. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You need a pickup and truck and a chainsaw. Let me be very clear. I am not in favor of protectionist policies, right? I'm not trying to say that. But rather... You know, many of you know Phil Kelly. That's a name a lot of people know. And Phil likes to say, all you need to be an arborist in Seattle is a pickup truck and a business license, and you can probably get away without the pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that you don't have to have any credentials. 
no credentials whatsoever related to the profession of arboriculture to start a tree service business in the state of Washington. In the state of Oregon as well. Yep. Yeah. Same thing here. Matter of fact, I'm going to guess it's almost all 50 states. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine so. It's probably something like that, right? Right. And that leads to all kinds of interesting things. And uh, I'm going to say something that may be a little bit controversial, but in order to be successful, in order to grow, in order to hire the right people, train them, equip them properly, bring in specialists as needed to have a functioning, successful business that grows, as we've been talking about, it takes profitability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes profitability. And what is the one of the big challenges? Getting back to our tree removal, somebody's going to cut it down conversation. If all you need is the cheapest insurance you can buy, a business license from the state, and a chainsaw to go out and sell your services cutting down trees, putting aside the ones who are unlicensed, uninsured. But if that's all it takes, of course it's going to be hard to be profitable, to compensate people well, to invest in equipment and training, and to grow a business in that climate. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. It. There's, so there's what no can we way do about it, it, right? Yeah. Becca's going to get us back on topic. <laughs> I'm here to reel it in. What can we do about it? Well, I've got some good friends who work for the city of Denver, and one of the things Denver's implemented, and pardon me if I misspeak, is you need to be licensed as a tree care provider in the city of Denver. So you have to have a certified oh, arborist on staff. Yep. Yeah. And I think they're moving toward you have to have a certified tree worker or be able to pass some sort of a skills test to show you can actually do the work safely. Oh, what's up, Denver? Yeah. <laughs> Shout out. What, a, what an idea, yeah. right? Yeah. What an idea. Rather than just saying any Tom, Dick, and Harry or Sally with a chainsaw can be a tree service company. What if we had a standard? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. So, um, I feel really fortunate because I'm, I'm in somewhat of an apprenticeship right now with uh, one of the companies that I work for. And it's great because this company's main focus is on tree preservation. And Ooh. yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 and so it's, it's really great because I, you know, I've always been more, you know, into not removing trees and as like, like you were saying earlier, the pictures are cool. It's I get it. Like it's a lot more glamorous and badass and whatever looking, right? But um, but it is great. And I, you know, I learned last week how to fertilize a tree and um, learned how to cape do a dynamic cable and um, all the while getting a lot of good climbing experience and things like that. Anyways, thousand percent super grateful. Shout out to Nate. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but um, but I feel really just lucky that I ended up in this situation. And um, I, f I feel like if everyone that got into this had an opportunity to be in an apprenticeship with a company that does what, what Nate does or what you do, Craig, kind of focus more on the scientific and, and like the actual tree preservation aspect that the scientific educational benefits of trees 
aspect of this profession, then I think things would be a lot different. We wouldn't end up even, you know, having conversations like, well, there's just, there's just like someone with a chainsaw that think, you know, and, and then I think things would be a lot different in the scheme of uh, what we do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there are so few apprenticeship programs right now. A few companies have them. Uh, and there are a number of community colleges or, or four-year institutions that now offer urban forestry, arboriculture programs, but there are not very many. Is, uh, is Clackamas Community College still running their program down in Oregon? Um, I took track last year and they came in and like announced that they were doing it. Maybe that was two years ago. So it's pretty recent. I imagine they're doing it. So, yeah, yeah, I I probably would have heard if yeah. it was if yeah. it was shutting down. I haven't heard that. I don't know yeah. for sure. Yeah. But but it's true. There's not a lot, especially on the on the West Coast. I know on the East Coast, yeah. you know, at mm-hmm. UMass, you can go to college for arboriculture. Mm-hmm. I've known a couple of people yeah. go through that program and come out just top level arborists. And as a matter yeah. of fact, Massachusetts, yeah. I believe you have to have a Massachusetts license to operate as an arborist. Yeah, and I want to say New Jersey maybe. maybe. You know, I think the East Coast is a little bit ahead of the game with some of this stuff. Well, that's exactly the thing. It's like, it's so, it's not like a, there's no federal blanket or like a, a blanket over the whole of arboriculture that, you know, there's like, a, there's a lack of a standard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of what's acceptable and what isn't. And and we mentioned this before. Oh, I'm so glad you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, we we Keeping talked about this track. before about like you know how people who are retired surgeons don't do surgery out of their garage, <laughs> but like you know, other retired loggers can just be like, yeah, I'll do it for 150 bucks, and like people will just they're way more perceptive to that, and and it's just like you know, <laughs> discount dentist telling you have a bad tooth, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's a mentality. Wow. I mean, to to be willing to go out there, you know, when when I started at the city, you know, I was kept getting people wanting to do, do work, and so I started doing it on the weekend. And I remember pretty much right off, I went and got uh, insurance and got everything I needed to be above the board. Because there's nothing worse in my mind than that conversation where you're like, well, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm not going to drop anything on your house, but just so you know, I'm not insured. You know, like you just feel that doesn't feel right. That's not how you, no. any, as a professional, as a member of this profession, that is not an acceptable conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah, you're bringing up great points. All of you. It's, there's so many things that go into us and, and it's, it's standards, it's regulations, it's, certification, qualification, licensure, uh, in proper insurance, all these kinds of things. And can you imagine if you didn't have to have those things to be an attorney or to yeah. be a doctor yeah. or <laughs> yeah. name any of those? Yeah. Name any of those. So it's you're hitting on good things. And speaking of standards, a little, little uh, point worth mentioning is that uh, I understand OSHA is in process of developing a tree care standard, yeah, a vertical right. standard yeah. for the tree yeah. care industry. Okay. Yeah, well, there's process moving forward. Uh, Peter Gerstenberger did a terrific presentation on it at the uh, ISA International Conference that was, what, I guess December, January, the virtual conference. Okay. Super great presentation if you had a chance to see it. Could you see a lot being borrowed yeah. from the rope access industry, you know? from that i certainly haven't read the standard i haven't seen any draft for it i think there will be some elements um 
Remember our agreement, Andrew, is we're not going down the tree climbing conversation uh, yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was Jamie. We're not making this about climbing trees. <laughs> <laughs> Increasing safety standards is to everyone's benefit. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's benefit. Yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to briefly touch on something that I kind of see as a as a hurdle to us kind of standardizing everything. Uh, when I bring up these things and when I when I have talked to professionals, other professionals in other industries like lawyers or doctors or anything, there's definitely a stigma. You know, you say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I do these continued educations and, you know, a, a board certified master arborist, you know, I liken that to like a doctor. And they look at you funny and they're like, they're not a doctor. There's no way they're a doctor. And a board certified master arborist, you're going through the process right now, right? I mean, is wh- wh- where does that rate? Um, like what, what level of, uh, um, education goes into that? Like hour wise. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I, I would tell you, I, I would, uh, avoid trying to make the equivalency with being a doctor. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I think, ab- I think ab- you're asking for trouble on that one. Ab- absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not trying to equate them to doctors, but when you, I would, I would say it's the highest internationally recognized standard in the arboriculture profession outside of academic being a doctor of like Dr. Ed Gilman, right? right? As opposed, you know, outside of the academic world, it's the highest qualification for a working arborist available and recognized worldwide. That's what a BCMA, a board certified master arborist represents. Right. And even when I, when I bring those things up and when I, I don't frame it. I don't. I don't say you know it's the same thing as a doctor. I don't. You know, while I yeah. No, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is you that did, you did once and it didn't I, go I, well. I did once. <laughs> it didn't go well. I, I, have, I have changed. I have changed that tap, tactic for sure. Changing your but mind. in the in the in in a follow up conversations, you still try to guide it towards you know we are professionals. We're continued education, and they still look at you kind of like dumb tree guys, and they still kind of have that that stigma that still exists. Again, it's it's industry-wide, but do you see a way, I mean, other than educating and, you know, speaking passionately about what we do, do you see any other ways that we can kind of fight that stigma? I'm going to answer your question with a question. All right. What is it do you think that creates that impression with a potential client? I would... I would say it's the client's lack of insight into what it means to have these certifications and these qualifications. You know, and what else through, through this conversation, I might be going a little off track with this, but (laughs) I, I don't think we need to compare ourselves to doctors. What we do is different and we can, we can respond as total professionals. And if you, if you respond knowledgeable and you come with science and you, you know, you talk from a place of education, then that's not a factor. I'm not a doctor. I'm here. I'm not here to, you know, do surgery on you. I'm here to take care of your trees. And this is what I know about trees. And this is what I'm seeing with your trees. And, you know, if you come from that perspective, then I don't think you got to worry about whether or not they think of you as a doctor. Right, right. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make us akin to doctors. I'm just trying to make us a professional, respected, trying to come across as a professional, respected professional you know we we know what we're talking about we are that's the exactly the point yeah that's what i'm yeah, saying you're, what we're you're our saying own profession they don't right. see us as professional right yeah they, they see us as well, a dumb, so let me yeah. let's get at this 
let's get at this a little bit. This is important. And, and the reason I ask, what do you think creates that impression uh, is I think there are many things that we can do intentionally that are um, some of them are active, some of them are passive, some of them are verbal, others are nonverbal that establish ourselves as professionals. And yeah. let me give you a quick list seriously off the top of my head. Uh, first one, dress like a professional. Yeah. Right. What an idea, right? When you're going to go out <laughs> to see a client and I, I, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I'll, I'll share with you some decisions I've made for myself and for my business. Mm-hmm. When I go see a client, I wear a high visibility vest mm-hmm. over an appropriate outer layer for the weather. That is either a nice looking fleece, a raincoat, maybe a puffy jacket. If it's cold, I wear an appropriate hat that either is about something in the tree profession or I've got a rain hat that I like, or a warm stocking cap for the winter, and none of them have a beer logo or a hockey team on. I love hockey. It has nothing to do with the tree world. I'm not wearing a ripped hoodie. I'm not wearing dirty Carhartts. I may not even be wearing work boots per se, right? I'm not going up in their tree. I've got a pair of, you know, slip-on leather, whatever they are, you know, Merrill or Keen boots to keep my feet warm and dry. I've got a clean pair of, you know, whatever they are, true work pants, Carhartt pants, Arborwear pants, whatever, something that seems appropriately, you know, outdoorsy yet clean, right? Well-maintained. I made sure that I shaved, for instance, or at least that my beard is trimmed. I have a business card, and I approach them as a professional would. Mm-hmm. And I introduce myself. Hi, how are you? I've already confirmed my appointment with them. I have a website that represents the company and looks professional. And all of my communications, my behaviors, my actions, my verbal and nonverbal communication says, I am a professional. I want to start from that foundation. Because if I show up with something less, if I show up with sawdust in my underwear and coming out of my pockets and my car hearts are ripped, (laughs) <laughs> and I got a pair of, you know, Carolinas on where the toes are worn out. And I got my ball cap on backwards and I got, you know, bar oil smudged on my face. And I'm 30 minutes late and I come panting up to the door and say, sorry. Of course they don't think I'm a professional. And I'm, I'm using a bunch of stereotypes, right? And so I apologize if I offend anyone. But <laughs> we can do ourselves hard. a great disservice. <laughs> but you're also not making a sales call. That's true. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you're, making, you're making a phone call, not a sales call. Right? <laughs> you so never there's so known. many things we can do. I, I'm not even wearing pants, you would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Forget I said that. <laughs> but there's so many things we can do to set ourselves up for success that when we meet a client, they assume we are professionals. Right. Yeah. yeah. They assume the best rather than the worst. And then all you have to do is don't let them down. Uh-huh. It's all in how you act. If yeah. you act like a professional, they'll treat you like a professional until you prove them wrong. That's a great point. It goes back well to, said. It goes back to uh, first impressions kind of thing. You can't ever take back a first impression. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean if you're going there to to talk and sell like a something that involves some science and some know-how and, you know, I'm just reiterating what you're saying. Yeah. Basically. It's like, yes, you want to be a I professional would, if you're going to have a professional conversation. 
And, and I, Becca, I want to ask you, which, which part of arboriculture does not involve science and know-how? There are none. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm <laughs> exactly. thinking about this and I'm like, well, well, as long as you show up on time, does it, I mean, cause I'm thinking if you show up and you're, you're like a little, you know, you're wearing, um, dirty car hearts or, uh, and, and you know, like you just went from one job to a bid or something, then someone would see you and be like, oh, they obviously like know what they're doing and they work hard and blah, blah, blah. But that's not necessarily the case, like, because that's, you're not there to do the job then. You're there to do the, to have the conversation with them. And Well, and what I would say, though, is if you show up, even if you're a little, you know, you got your dirty car hearts, you come off the job, that might not be ideal. But for whatever reason, if there's a scheduling, you worked late, you might be one strike down, but it's not one thing that makes you a professional. You know, if, if you take your time to, you know, like clean yourself off as much as you can and, you know, you show up and then you talk to them like a professional, Yeah. you know, and you, you know, you know, then exactly. Then they'll look at you and be like, oh man, that guy, he was working hard, but when he opened his mouth, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's, you know, it's not just one thing. I think it's, it's whatever you can control, control it in with what's in mind is being a professional. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always kept a clean shirt and a clean hat in the car. There was a minute in my career where I was doing field work until about 1 PM. Then the bids would start for the, for the afternoon. So I'd show up, saw pants on, but I had, you know, nice shirt, nice fresh hat in the car. And that's awesome. Part of being professional is being prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know you got bids later in the day, have that extra gear. You know, make just in the same way you make sure you have something to write your bid on. You know, have a a clean button-up shirt, have a, you know, nice hat with the company logo, and, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but I think even more – sorry, Craig. Go ahead. No, 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 please, Becca. Oh, um, I was just going to say, like, definitely, like, presentability is one thing aesthetically, but um, I think if you just show up with – and uh, and are polite. Yeah. <laughs> you're not like, and, and, and you're not. If you show up at all, yeah. If you show up for one and on time, and you just um kind of um have an eloquency and some you know, and and you're willing to share what you know with whomever it is you're interacting with. And um, I I always found any time that I've been in that situation, and I um I will tell someone something that they didn't know. They're they're generally pretty perceptive to it and they're like excited to have obtained this knowledge and it makes, it makes our whole uh, profession look a lot more professional. Um, just oh, yeah. being able to verbalize for sure things like that and have people uh, learn. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of knowledge, Becca, you're getting at a really important point and something that I've noticed has happened a lot recently is talking with a prospective client on the phone or at an in-person site visit and they'll say, I want to do this or I'm, I want you to do this or I need to do this or I just want this. And what I've found is my favorite thing is to say, Oh really? Why is that? Hmm. And I'll give you an example that happened today. I had one, one phone call to return toward the end of the day, called a guy who was a neighbor he said, yeah, we got this and that, trees overhang, trees drop some limbs. And so uh, I think we need to thin it. 
this is a big conifer, right? And wind sailing is this terrible, apocryphal, damaging practice that happens out here. It's made up. There's no science behind it. Uh-huh. Nope. And he said, I think we need to thin it. And I said, oh, really? Why is that? Mm. He said, well, you know, it's dropped some limbs and, and uh, you know, I was told that, you know, thinning does this and that. I said, that's very interesting. Who told you that? He said, oh, I just heard it from somebody. I said, well, let me share with you a little bit about where that practice comes from, <laughs> who made it up, and the fact that there is no science behind it. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah, let me share with you a little bit about how trees function. And we had this really great conversation. He came out of it like, wow, I didn't know that. I said, sure, I'd love to stop by. Let's take a look and see how we can reduce risk. And certainly by improving the health of the tree at the same time. Mm. But asking, and why is that? Is one of the most valuable things I've learned. To start a conversation and open the door to explain, educate, empower the client, tree owner or manager with information about their trees. Because they may think they know what they want, but you wouldn't be standing there if they knew for sure and or if they could do it themselves. It's great that you uh, just mentioned that because I noticed throughout our conversation you have asked us for sitting here. <laughs> and <laughs> why is that? Yeah. <laughs> we're all like, oh, shit. <laughs> we got we to dig. <laughs> but it's, it, is, it does kind of boomerang back something that someone might say without being fully informed and, and make them... Make them look a little bit deeper. Well, and I think it's a great sales technique also. Yeah. You know, because going back to what's going to sell the job is the knowledge. If you, you know, if you ask them, then you're opening that conversation that gives you an opportunity to prove that you're a professional. And you're going to be able to, you know, don't do it to try to rip them off and spend, you know, get as much money as you can. But they're going to trust you when you give the fair price that you – you know, they're going to be like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, he's obviously knowledgeable. That must be what it's worth. But if you don't take the time to have that conversation and you throw a price out there, you know, they might balk at it and not have, you know, and why wouldn't they? You haven't convinced them, you know, that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're knowledgeable and and say the right, like, have the right information, you may be able to sell preservation on a tree that should be preserved rather than yep. the person before you who's like, this tree needs to come down. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, look at that dead branch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Maybe we could change some terminology here and say you may be able to explain the value explain. of preservation. There we go. Yep. Yeah. Rather explain than sell it to them. I'm not selling anything, anything, right? That's not the goal. The goal is to help them make the best possible decisions about their trees. And if they value the advice that we provide, I would, would really like it if they would hire us to implement those tree care recommendations. Yeah. I'm not selling them anything. Yeah. Selling is it as, as a verb to sell is helping someone make an informed buying decision, okay. but used as a pejorative in a connotation sense to sell is associated with used cars, right? I'm not trying to convince anyone to do anything. I'm going to, share information as they can make an informed decision and decide whether myself or chop chop tree service is the right one to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, you're changing all these words in my lexicon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I think it's healthy though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This is great. Yeah. Well, and it goes back you to You remember what, 
what suit guy did, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Job yeah. Was. <laughs> There's it, still some suit in you. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes back to, you know, when you're when you're on that bid, like my my number one goal on the bid is not to like you say, and we went over this on in bidding and whatnot, but on the bidding episode, but it's not necessarily to sell them work is to earn their trust because once you earn their trust, then you can educate them and you can, you know, in that episode, we were talking about how like my number one goal is almost building a community, you know, cause then you can work with each other and they trust you and you have a much better relationship and you're going to have a, over time, you know, you're going to have a client that keeps coming back to you and, uh, and you earn so much more trust with a question than you do. You know, if you, if he had said, well, I heard that the, you know, tree doesn't, you know, it needs to be thinned. And you said, no, it doesn't. That he would have, you know, yeah. like the instant reaction is to be, if someone goes head to head against you, you is to be like, well, yes, it does. My buddy told me, I trust my buddy, uh-huh. yep. you know, but if you take the time to be like, well, why is that? Yeah. You know, then you're open. You're like going right beyond that bi- mental barrier for them. And I think ultimately the more that you can have these educational opportunities for people and present the, you know, the facts and I I don't know, I guess the coolest thing about it is that it's not just about like retaining a client or getting a bid or whatever. It's about like creating a sense of stewardship for trees and like making people who maybe didn't know any better or look twice at them, like turning people from just people who had trees on their property to people who could potentially be huge advocates, mm-hmm. yep. which makes the whole urban forest it more full. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Having a large tree, having any trees on your property in many ways makes you a steward rather than an owner. Exactly. And if we view trees as green infrastructure that benefit the entire community, then stewardship makes an awful lot of sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, tree care is caring for and caring about trees. Yeah. Well, we've, Ooh, we got deep there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it's it. about, though. <laughs> so we've we've gone right, into. So can I take issue with a word? Please do. Yeah. Okay, I want to take issue with the word "bid" here for a moment. Okay. All right. We were talking about professionalism. Yeah. We we're talking about being successful having successful businesses, which a business must be profitable or it will not be a business very long. Can we agree on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right? Business has to make profit. Yes, otherwise, yes. no business. <laughs> it's got to support itself. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's right? how businesses work. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's called a not-for-profit. Yeah. Right? And so as a business, one of the ways that we are successful is that we avoid being commoditized where we avoid participating in a commoditized market. And a bid is something that is submitted for a commodity. If someone is selling, oh, I don't know, 25 units of uh, pork belly on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, right, people might bid to buy that. If someone says, I have a tree to cut down, or I want two limbs cut off, or I just need this stump ground out, somebody or many somebody's might show up and say, well, I will bid $2,400. And somebody says, ha ha, I will bid $2,100. You will say, yes, but I really need the work. So I will bid $1,600. I'll take it from all of you. And I'm being a little silly about this. But if we approach our consultations with clients, you'll hear me use the term sales appointments, but if we 
approach our consultations with clients merely as the opportunity to show up, let them tell us what should be done, and then to name our best price, that is bidding, and that is stupid. I told you it was Friday. You're going to hear what I really think. Yeah. <laughs> I love the thing. Keep it going. No, I, I love, love it. Yeah. Barack Obama. It's like Obama said, don't do stupid stuff, right? So if we show up and the client says, I just need you to cut off those four limbs, we have two possible responses. Okay, here's my price. And now we've just done what everyone else is going to do. Mm-hmm. Or, Becca, what question we, could we ask? Why? Why would you? Like and why? And why is that? And why, why is that? that? Yes. <laughs> and by asking that question, by asking, and why is that? What have we just done? We it is no longer a commodity. Yep. Because it's not the same scope of work that everyone else is going to show up and give them their lowest possible bid because I hope they get it. Ah. A commodity is something that is assumed to be the same, whether it's pork bellies or bentonite, or or whatever it is, right? It's assumed to be the same. And I'm going to guess that Sperry Tree Care and uh, Happy Little Trees and Tree 133 all do work somewhat differently. And that's just fine. And the way that we would each approach a particular tree is going to be a little bit different. And what we see and what we recommend and what we charge will all be a little bit different. We are not in a commoditized industry. We are in a profession that requires knowledge and expertise to be applied to the benefit of someone else. If we just show up and bid work, all we're doing is saying, here's how much I'm willing to prostrate myself for your money. Instead of saying, and why is that? Oh, really? Well, let's talk about your tree. That's a beautiful whatever. Or did you notice this over here? That's an indication of this. Oh, really? And now you're having a conversation. You're doing a consultation. And you can provide them recommendations and a dollar figure to implement those recommendations. And it's no longer a bid. It's no longer a commodity. And they're never going to hire knucklehead tree service over you. Yep. That's awesome. And if they do... It's probably not the person you want to be your client anyways because you're not able to do Boom. you're not able to do your profession. You're working, you know, you're just you're going back to being a tool. Yep. I've I've been on Don't be a tool. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on so many consults or so many bids or whatever with individuals and you'll start explaining these things. You'll start explaining, well, this is why we don't top trees and you know, this is why that tree doesn't need to be removed. And you just see their eyes glaze over and they're just like, okay, get to the punchline. How much are you going to charge me? And it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do work for you. You're not, yeah, this yeah. is not where I want to be. Sometimes people have it in their That freaks mind. people out when you tell yeah. them no. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can I tell you a story? Please oh, yeah. do. Yeah. So, Yesterday, I'm sitting at my kitchen table with my laptop right now. I was sitting here yesterday. I called back a lead that came in through our website. A lead's just a name for a, a word for a contact. I called him back and he said, So I'm down in Matthews Beach, you know, which is, oh, I don't know, two miles from here. And he said, I'm down in Matthews Beach and I've got a this and a that and I need to cut this one down and I need some limbs taken off of this and this and that. And I've already had a couple people out look at it and I'd like you to come look at it too. And I said, Oh, why is that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've already spoken with 
several other companies, why do you need me to come look at it? And that stopped him for a second. <laughs> he said, well, um, maybe you might see it differently. I said, oh, tell me more about that. And I'll often ask, who else have you spoken with? Well, I talked to this and this and this. It draws, gives me an opportunity to draw a comparison between different kinds of tree companies. The jack of all trades, the tree removal company, the tree preservation company. And he said, yeah, but they get this, this, and maybe, you know, maybe you'll see something different or maybe your price will be different. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you honestly, people don't hire us because we have the lowest price. Sometimes we do. But that's not why people hire us. They hire us because we see it differently and we do a different kind of work. Oh, really? Yeah. And all of a sudden we had this really interesting conversation and where it started was he wanted another bid for what he viewed was a commodity. I need you cut tree, right? Yeah. And I heard these two people, they gave me prices. I wonder if yours is going to be better. And I don't want to go out there and just be the third bid. I would assume nobody wants to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I decided I want to find out what this guy's all about. I want to understand why he called me and if he's open to having a conversation that might be a little different from what he's had with other people he's spoken with, other arborists, other representatives. And it was a very interesting conversation. I'm going to go see him a week from Monday. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Don't be a tool. Don't be a tool. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those kind of those rules of sales is set yourself apart. You know, and that's kind of what you're doing. If everybody's else showing up and just offering to be a tool, you know, you're setting yourself apart by saying like, hey, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to help you and your trees. And this is what they need. And this is why. I mean, right right away, you, it's a what you're doing is totally different than what those other people came and did. You know, and yeah, that's, that's, that's what it's about. You know, you're se separating yourself from the pack there. Somebody once said to me, if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, you're not doing anything at all. Yeah. I told you we could talk all night on this. I wasn't joking. <laughs> no, no, no. We, yeah, we can. But yeah. Becca's going to tell us we have to get back on topic here. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I honestly think that was a. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was what was on the agenda. But we, if you have more stuff or any like thoughts that you want to. Because I'm just sitting here like a total sponge, like just loving soaking this up. I'm, I have like a whole new dictionary. You're like sponge Becca? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? Uh, let uh, A segment that we'll do now and then is kind of tips and tricks. Okay. So what what are tips and tricks if you're trying to up your game? You know, as a arborist, as a company... You know, if you had a magic wand and you could up the game in the industry, what stands out as, like, something you could do? Ooh, ask me that question again, because you went somewhere different than I was expecting. Try me one more time. Okay. If you, like, if you had a magic wand, right, and you could, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. I'm changing it up a little bit than, than the other question. You know, everything we've talked about, whether it's on the the level of, you know, somebody up in their game personally as an arborist, a company up in their game, or the industry, what what do you think is the important takeaway from this conversation? What What is the tip and trick that would be really helpful? Oh, that's great. And I think 
I think my answer is, maybe this is advice, but is take responsibility for your own professional development. Look out for yourself. Think ahead because no one else is going to do it for you. That's a great one. Yeah. That's a great one. And I don't know if that's a tip or tick or trick or a technique, but every one of us, probably everyone listening, can name at least one workshop, training event, book, article, something that they've been meaning to read, attend, participate in. Go do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go do it. Because if you're just going to work, you're a hamster on the treadmill, right? And you're running, 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 but you never get anywhere. Yeah. Go learn something new. Make a point to do it. Whether it's you set a daily goal, a weekly goal, whatever, and keep track of what you learn. There's so much out there. There's so many great free learning opportunities, whether it's tree stuff webinars, podcasts, articles, uh, magazines, free webinars, whether it's you know the Arbor Pod ones that were done or the I can't think of what they're called right now. PNW is doing some great podcasts and webinars and whatnot. Mm. There's so many free resources out there. It doesn't have to cost money. Go learn something. Go learn something about something you know nothing about. Go learn about biochar. Go learn about uh, the bronze birch borer. Go learn about the spotted lantern fly. Go learn about rope construction. Learn about chippers. Learn about fall prevention. Learn about something and follow your nose and learn something more about it and then learn about something else and just keep doing that. Don't be a hamster and don't be a tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think um, a tip slash trick uh, kind of related to what you were just talking about is if, if even if it's a small thing that you feel like you've learned to the point where you're confident enough to explain it to someone else or try to teach them, I think teaching or educating someone on something is a great way to solidify that learning. So, um, yeah. so if you have the opportunity and you feel confident in your, in something that you learned, that's pretty new to you, I would say a good, a good way to solidify that and to continue that education for yourself and for the person involved is, would be to, to explain something to someone or teach them something new. And that kind of continues that awesome cycle. Pass it on. Yeah. yeah. Pass it on. It's Yeah. You learn it better, and then you've taught it to well, somebody else. Well said, SpongeBob. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I think piggyback on what you're saying, and it's find a mentor. Yeah. You know, whatever. You know, whatever. Whether we're talking about your individual skills, or if you're trying to grow your business, or trying to figure out where you're going in the industry, find someone that's already been there that you can talk to and uh, learn from them because that I've found, uh, you know, mentors that I've had, I still talk to them and, you know, have great conversations and learn new things. And, uh, you know, and if you've been in the game for a long time, maybe find someone to mentor because, you know, kind of go piggybacking on what you're saying too, is once you start, uh, learning, or once you start teaching, you start learning the subject that you're teaching in a whole new way because you're looking at it from a different perspective now and you're going to increase your own knowledge on it. Mm -hmm. Right on. 
Any other Can tips? I share an idea? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So if I had a magic wand, <laughs> I would, well, I guess one is I would encourage everybody in our profession to create a resume. That's one part. And the second part is I would encourage everybody to create a resume that has three parts to it. I was going to say two, but it's really three. The first one is sort of the professional qualifications, work history, typical resume stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I have a class ACDL. I'm a certified arborist. I'm track qualified. I'm a CTSP, and I worked for these companies for these years, yada, 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 right? That's, that's a typical resume. The two other parts, one would be about mentors, and I wasn't sure who it was that just brought that up, but I would love to see on a resume list three people who've been a mentor from you. And what's something you learned from each one? Mm. I like right? that idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah. I would have like and so two then pages. I, have to give... <laughs> <laughs> I probably would too. Uh, the third part was actually suggested to me. I don't know if any of you guys know Keith Stoner. Keith worked for, has been working for True Work. Keith uh, is at a lot of climbing competitions. Um, super great arborist. Good friend of mine. Keith and I were talking the other day about the idea of definitive moments. And so the third part of the resume is describe one definitive moment being something that happened to you that you saw happen that was uh, maybe it was scary. Maybe it was intense. Maybe it was an incident that happened. Something, a definitive moment and what you learned or did differently because of that. Yeah. Man, that's great. That would be an <laughs> epic way to do resumes, yeah, right? Oh, what, yeah. what are your qualifications? Who are three mentors and what you learn from each one? And describe a definitive moment in your career and what you learned or do differently because of it. That's my magic wand wish. Oh, that's man. a good one. Great one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, that that's great information. And, even you know, that goes to if you're hiring someone also, you know, those would be great questions to ask. Just to see what, you know, if, if you ask someone, what you, who are your mentors and what did you learn from them? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Well, that t- probably tells you a lot <laughs> about right. the person. <laughs> but if they're like, oh, man, I, I could fill two pages with that. And they just start telling you all this stuff. You're like, okay, this is someone that yeah. wants to learn. <laughs> well, and I mean, just the fact that you, I feel like the whole time you were presenting that to your magic wand scenario to us, we were all just like beaming thinking about yeah. <laughs> what our answers might be, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Those are some good thinkers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many opportunities for us to, together, all of us, everyone listening, everyone participating in this profession, there's so many opportunities for all of us to together elevate the level of skill, knowledge, professionalism. But we have to do it together. Absolutely. It takes leadership, but it takes all of us getting on the bus, pulling in the same direction. I don't know what pulling in the bus have to do together. So that sort of undermined my metaphor. <laughs> but rowing in the same direction on the bus. Rowing the, row the bus. <laughs> rowing the, row, row the bus. Rowing row the, the bus. Row the bus. Here at Tree Thinking, we're just rowing the bus along. Row the bus. We got to all go in the same direction. Yeah. We got to all go in the same direction. Yeah. And we got to care. Come on, get on the bus and start rowing. (laughs) Exactly. Row, row, row. We got to care about trees. We got to care about ourselves. And we got to care about the people we work with and we work for. 
and there's so much we can all do together. And I want to say thank you to you guys before you get around to it. I want to say thank you for what you are doing for our profession with this podcast and bringing together really great people, yourselves and all the guests you've, you've invited. And I'm honored to be part of this. And what you are doing to help us all row the bus in the right direction. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm psyched to be part of this. This is oh, Being an arborist is sincerely the coolest job in the world. It is. It is oh. the coolest job in the world. It's way cooler than being a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Craig, for like. But sincer- sincerely, this has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank oh, you for the thought you've put into things. Like I've, I've said maybe four words that you've thought like thoroughly about and are thinking like, well, we should change it to this to to elevate the industry. I mean, that's huge. You're sitting, yeah, <laughs> you're sitting yeah. at home thinking about bidding and like, no, there's a better word for that, you know. Yeah. It's just gonna make us better. That that's something I'm really taking away from this is changing, uh, what I say and that that changes how I think about these things too. Yep. Yeah. Just thank you for that. Yeah. Well, here, I I think we're kind of to this point. Let's do final thoughts because it All sounds right. like you're kind of starting it. Anyways, we we like to kind of wrap up the show with just uh, you know, just even if it's just one thing you take away from the conversation uh, that that you're going to take with you, and uh, we'll let you let you kick it off, Craig. What what are your final What's your final thought on the on this episode? Well, I think the final thought is. The final thought is I want to read that definition of a profession again. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to leave us with that. So according to the Australian Council of Professions, <laughs> a profession is a disciplined group of individuals who adhere to ethical standards and who hold themselves out as and are accepted by the public as possessing special knowledge, skills in a widely recognized body of learning, derived from research, education, and training at a high level, and who are prepared to apply this knowledge and exercise these skills in the interest of others. As arborists, we are, we must be, and we must act as professionals. That is how we will together row the bus in the right direction. (laughs) Man. I think that's like the perfect ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not top. I don't have a final thought. I, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you this evening. And I'm very inspired right now. I don't know. I, I feel like we all kind of are yep. sitting here beaming and feeling rejuvenated by by this conversation. So thank you very much, Craig. I would say my final thought here... Uh, is to kind of go back to the beginning of our conversation. You you know, you and me were talking about how we came from such, you know, got into the industry in such different ways. But I think what has gotten us he- through into where we're at now is the same thing, and that's working hard. You know, you're talking about how you were working hard, you know, uh, to get going and to earn the respect of the crew and whatnot. And it was the same thing for me when I was first starting out. You know, as the boss's kid coming on a crew and I had the choice of either just being the boss's kid and, you know, I could have just done minimal to make it and I would have had a job. But instead I decided, you know, screw that. I'm going to set the standard because these guys aren't going to let the boss's kid outwork them. <laughs> and so I just did my best to outwork everybody. 
whether I, you know, whether it was just hauling brush or whatever I could do, I just did it as good as I could. I think that's the key to, to progressing, you know, in the industry. Um, that and, you know, more Instagram pictures of cool limb walks to make the good pruning cut instead of removals. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You know, get out on those tips. Yeah. Get out to the tips. And, uh, with that, I would say stay safe and watch your top knot. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, Craig. 